Ephesians chapter 4. What I'd like to discuss today has to do with the concept of balance. When you're talking about balance, of course, uh, a lot of mental images may come to mind. You may think of the balance of two scales. You might think of uh, balance between two extremes. And that's really what I want to discuss more or less today. In Ephesians 4 and verse 11, Paul writes, he, gave, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I believe at least one part of what Paul is getting at here is an aspect of balance. And I want to talk about this particular phrase that he uses of speaking the truth in love. An alternate title of this lesson could be balanced preaching or teaching. A lot of people seem to desire that. They want a balance. You know, let's have a balanced message. Let's have a balanced idea of, uh, of what the truth is. Let's have a balanced approach. And I want to talk about basically three things. First of all, that, that God wants us to be balanced. There is a sense in the scriptures that God has provided a balance of sorts for us to emulate, for us to shoot for. Secondly, we want to consider the fact that God, that the deceit of the world will make us unbalanced. When we listen to the world, when we, we're not what we should be in being balanced, we're going to be deceived, we're going to deceive others, uh, we're not going to be what we should be when we're unbalanced. And then finally, we want to talk about some of the rewards of being balanced that make us grow in Christ. In verses 11 through 13, I believe we have this instance here where God has provided a number of things for the ministry itself. What ministry are we talking about? We're talking about being balanced in the ministry that we have collectively as Christians together. Our work together is really important, of course, and when we look at this, God has given particular roles for saints to assume. Who is he talking about in verse 11? You remember in the context of this, he's talking about in earlier on in this chapter, all these ones that we have. Uh, one uh, body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, verses 4 through 6. But he says in verse 7, each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so each one gets this gift, but there are particular roles that we assume. And he talks about some of these roles that were present. Most of these were present in the first century, of course. They're still present today in some particular way, shape, or form. I would suggest that we still have our apostles. 
You know, some people, if, if you're ever asked, does the Church of Christ have apostles, you need to say yes. And you need to recognize that what the, the apostles that we have in the New Testament are the same apostles that we have now. And their work lives on. Their, their speech lives on. What they wrote lives on in the way that we see it, in the way that we, we read it and apply it. These apostles were men who were called by Jesus. We see in Mark 3, they called, he called them to him. The ones that he wanted, he called. And they were with him through all his ministry. We find in Acts 1 that one of the requirements that they had, uh, remember when they were trying to replace Judas as an apostle, one of the requirements was that he had been with Jesus from the beginning up till that time. And the beginning of, of their ministry together is what that really means. And so he gave apostles. He also gave prophets. Uh, Moses is talking about prophets in Deuteronomy 18. These were men who were given future knowledge, men and women really, were given future knowledge by God, and they were sent to teach and to warn others throughout the course of the scriptures. Uh, again, we don't really have that per se today, but we do have the prophecies to look back on, to recognize the prophecies that have been fulfilled. And even, in a sense, the limited prophecy that we have, that Jesus will indeed come back, that there will be a judgment day, that there will be a resurrection. And so we can see that, and we can see the importance of that. Uh, we have evangelists, of course, still today. Uh, Timothy was called to do the work of an evangelist. These were sharing the good news of the gospel. We have pastors, even today. And... Uh, Again, it's, it, this is an interesting passage to take to somebody who thinks that a preacher and a pastor are the same thing. They're not. And when we kind of allow that to go on, you know, some people, I think even on Christians, they sort of uh, say, well, preacher and pastor are basically the same thing. They're separate terms, even in this same passage. And so let's recognize that. But we're talking about shepherds, bishops, elders of the local congregation. Peter talks about them in 1 Peter 5, that he himself is an elder, and he's calling upon those elders that he's writing to to work in a particular way, to work within their own congregations. Teachers, in 2 Timothy 1, 11, others are called to be teachers. You know, serving the Lord must uh, be apt to teach. But he says those... Really, we're talking about those teaching the Word of God to others, and this, this is in whatever shape or form that takes place. And again, we could look and see there are others in Scripture. We have deacons in 1 Timothy 3 and, and other things. So we are given roles to assume is what I mean by this. And of course, even in the family, you've got this balance to be, to be made. Uh, the husband is to be the husband. You know, The husband is not to take on the duties of the wife. And I'm not talking about cooking and cleaning and all that. I'm talking about the, the roles that we're given to assume. They're important. And there are some things, for example, that my wife is going to be better at than I am. There are going to be some things that I'm better at than she is. This is a working together. And, and, and again, I think this is the imagery that we have that's given to us in, in the church. Why is this? Why did he give all this? Well, verse 12 tells us this is done so that we can be equipped. So the ministry can be equipped for, uh, for this work. That, that, that our saints, excuse me, not the ministry to be equipped, the saints to be equipped for the work of ministry, of helping, of, 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 of uh, edifying, building up this body together. 
God has given us variety. And I, I don't want to go down uh, too far on this small point, but I really believe that we have a God who appreciates variety. I mean, I look out in the world, you look at the number of animals that he has allowed to thrive out there. You look at the different uh, races that are upon the earth, right? They all came from the same blood, but they've been allowed to, to exist in different ways and things like that. God loves variety. Now, let's not take that to this spiritual place where, he, you know, God loves variety, so whatever you are, he'll be okay. That's not what I'm saying at all. He loves variety in general ways, it would seem. But he is intending for the whole of the body of Christ to be balanced. And we must accept something. What would Christianity be without the apostles? What would we have if we didn't have the apostles? Maybe someone would have written something about Jesus at some point in time. But you think about the wealth of knowledge that has been revealed to us through the apostles. You think about the, the word of God. What would it be without the prophets? that God had sent? What if they had decided not to do their work? And likewise, of course, what does the local congregation look without elders, without preachers, without teachers? What's the point? <laughs> Is it ultimately what you get to? Let's accept that without these roles filled and balanced, we are not properly equipped and therefore necessarily unbalanced. We're not balanced in the way that God wants us to be. Now, Let's understand something as well. In embracing this vision, if we understand that God wants us to be balanced, that we come from the different backgrounds, that we have these different roles, even within the body of Christ, if we accept and understand that, then we can start to become who God wants us to be. This is something that we work toward. We work toward balance. Just because we're not there right now, doesn't mean that we're in error. That's something to keep in mind as well. Jericho is walking. Okay? He's walking, but he doesn't have balance down. I'll tell you that right now. He will fumble and wobble around and just kind of, you know, he just is awkward. <laughs> and I don't really think I'm going to find a day, I'm no, I don't think I'm going to wake up one day and Jericho's just going to have balance licked. And he's just going to be able to do cartwheels in the living room and stuff like that. I mean, the day may probably come down the road. But a child has to master balance. You know, they take their first steps, but that, that proper balance takes a long time for them to achieve. It's the same thing with us. We work on becoming balanced in Christ to understand more throughout our lives. And it takes a continual working to be completely balanced in order to grow in Christ. I mean, speaking of balance, Sharon can tell you, I don't have a master on it myself, you know? And so this is a lifelong thing where we're seeking to be balanced in Christ. It's not just a switch that I turn on and off. It's a balance, ultimately, between two extremes. Can we turn to Ecclesiastes 7? Keep, keep a marker in Ephesians 4. Ecclesiastes 7. And let's look at some of the things that Solomon is encouraging us to think about. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Think about the boast 
not the boast, I guess, but think about the claim that Solomon is making in this passage and also think about what that means in terms of what he's saying. So Ecclesiastes 7, verse 15. I have seen everything in my days of vanity. There is a man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. Do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp this, and also not remove your hand from the other. For he who fears God will escape them all. Now what does that mean? Well, first of all, we recognize he's seen everything. And that's the context of the book. He's seen it all. And so he talks about, here's a man who, in his righteousness, he dies. And here's a man who is wicked, and he prolongs his life in his wickedness. He just keeps going. And he is encouraging us to not be overly right. Does that mean I I can't, you know, uh, don't be too good. Don't, Don't be too strict. Don't be too, you know. I think what we need to recognize is that, the, that, that this is a self-righteousness that he's talking about. It's the sense where I'm, I'm going into this place, I'm being righteous, but there's something I'm missing along the way. I've got it all right, except something that is eluding me that just is, is not in my radar. Why is that? And of course, the obvious, don't be overly wicked. Oh, so I can just be a little wicked, right, Solomon? No, it's talking about this sense where don't allow that balance to get out of the way. Because really, what does he say here? He who fears God will escape them all. It's the sense that if I'm fearing God, I'm going to be balanced. I'm going to escape the self-righteous. I'm going to escape the wicked. Solomon is emphasizing that extremes will pull us away from God. We've got a messed up paradigm that's out there in the world. And I'll just say that right now. I'm I'm not getting political here. But people talk about the left and the right as if they're polar opposites. And I don't really know all the details of in and outs of that. But when you look at the ways that people out in the world behave and act and attack other people, they're just as wrong as the people that they're condemning. I mean, it's amazing. I saw a video the other day where it's an anti-fascist protest. And these people who are screaming at the top of their lungs that this is a place that is against hate. We, we, we're against hate. And they're saying that in a hateful way. But then, of course, you've got other people that they're against that <laughs> are just as wrong. So, again, kind of getting back to what Andrew talked about th- this morning the world is in this dying, decaying state. And we can't be a part of that. We get to this point where we decide we're going to go in this particular way. Let, Let me suggest this as well. We've got plenty of examples in Scripture that some would call very extreme or unbalanced. We have men of God saying things strongly and insistently that some would look at and say, well, they're just too extreme. 
For example, you've got Paul's sanction against women speaking in the church. Some people dismiss that by saying, well, Paul was a bigot, or uh, they'll, they'll just say, well, that was a different culture. That doesn't apply to us now. Seems kind of extreme, doesn't it? Uh, to some people it does, at least. You think about Peter's quick rebuke of Simon the sorcerer. Oh, Peter, <laughs> come on, man. He, he doesn't know any better. You've got to take time with him. You've got to, you know... Now, Peter knew what was wrong, and he needed to make that clear. The darkness in Simon's heart needed to be exposed. That's in Acts chapter 8. And Jesus, using a scourge to get the sellers out of the temple. Look at all the Gospels for that, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, and of course John, which was a different time when he did that earlier on in his ministry, but still. How do we reconcile these things? We want to be balanced but some people would say, wait a minute, that's balanced against women. Or that's balanced against compassion. Or that's balanced against peace. How do, we, how do we figure this out? How do we work toward this? Well, let's recognize as we think about that, that God, of course, wants us to be balanced. But the deceit of the world will make us unbalanced. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, where is the balance? It's a sense where you've got these two, well, don't have the marker up here. Oh, well. You've got these two points, right? And some people want to be over here and some people want to be over there when maybe where we need to be is sort of in the middle right there. Now, let me say again, we're not Laodiceans, right? God doesn't want people to stay on the fence, and it's not about a, a right and wrong thing here, per se. It's about emphasizing the right things in the right way to have this proper balance. That's what we're saying, speaking the truth in love. And so what's going to make us unbalanced? Well, let's recognize that being unbalanced is a sign of immaturity. If I'm not mature in the faith, there's going to be some things that, that happen that, that I allow in my life. There's a quote by this fellow, uh, Warren Wearsby, who's a Baptist theologian, I don't have it up on the PowerPoint, but he says, truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. Now, I'm sure I wouldn't agree with Mr. Warren on a lot of things, but I think that quote shows a lot. Truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. And so those who are spiritually immature will sometimes react to correction with anger and hatred, and they will emphasize love over truth. Look at Proverbs 27 while we're here. Proverbs 27 and verse 5. The psalmist writes, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So what's he saying there? That when you're openly saying something and you're saying, hey, you don't need to be this way. This needs to be changed. But unfortunately, the, the fact remains is that we can do that and someone says, well, you don't know my son. You don't know me. Or say, hey, you, you, you got to be nicer about this. And we always have room to be kinder. But the, again, the pendulum can swing. 
where we abandon the truth for the sake of our emotions or feeling better or feeling okay. On the same point, those who are spiritually immature will also seek to lay charges left and right without compassion or hesitation. We're told about Diotrephes in 3 John 1, uh, excuse me, 3 John 9, verse 9. Only got one chapter. And he says that, that Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Here's a man who is taking upon himself to determine who's acceptable and who's not. And he's not going by what the Lord has prescribed. Galatians 6.13, Paul says, so even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. It's a motivation problem, isn't it? It's a spiritual immaturity. And so this is done either by uh, misusing God's word or adding to it. Uh, Jesus said about the Pharisees, they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Matthew 23, uh, uh, verse 4, excuse me. And so this is, this is a huge problem. Immaturity is, is, is part of this in terms of being unbalanced. Being unbalanced will also lead us to being deceived. Remember back in, in Ephesians 4, we've got this sense that of being tossed to and fro. And, and that's really what he's encouraging us to, to do and to stay away from. Because if you go back to Ephesians 4, that's what we just talked about in verse 14. We shouldn't be children anymore. We, we, we're not just to jump to something, right? We either jump to say, well, you need to love me better, or we jump to say, I'm, I'm done with you, unnecessarily. And that's a sign of immaturity. But we shouldn't be like children, Paul says. Don't be like children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And let's understand that when we talk about being deceived without truth, what happens? We're manipulative and we're manipulating. We're being manipulated and we're manipulating others, really is what I'm saying. In Jeremiah 6.14, they have also healed the hurt of my people, saying... Uh, slightly saying peace peace when there is no peace Paul made it very clear in 2nd Corinthians 4 and verse 2 that they've renounced the hidden things of shame not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully but by manifest excuse me by manifestation of the truth commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God so what happens if we're teaching people if we're working with each other and we're, uh, we're concerned just about how people feel. We're concerned about the atmosphere. We're concerned about, you know, some of those things are important, right? We need to be concerned about what our atmosphere is among our brethren, how we're feeling toward each other. But what happens when we sacrifice truth? You end up with people allowing people to be baptized and saying, well, we'll baptize them now and we'll, we'll teach them later. That's not going to create disciples. It's going to create people that have gotten wet. And we have a responsibility to show people the truth and not manipulate them into salvation. But brothers and sisters, without love, we are uncaring. If I don't have a true and honest love for my fellow Christians and for those out there in the world, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. You look at the context of that statement, he's not pressing upon them. He could have commanded them anything. He's an apostle. 
But he's stressing and saying, I'm testing the sincerity of your love. Do you really love those that you're with? Do you really love those that you spend your time around, especially those who are Christians, fellow Christians? Romans 12, 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what's good. Don't just say that you love. Prove it. Because without that, if you're just holding to, well, that's what you need to do and that's it. You know, we've got to take some time to be able to say, look, I understand what you're going through. I recognize this is hard. uh, But this is what the Lord's Word says. You know, I, I I always appreciate teachers that will will have this sense that says you know this is God's truth I'm sorry that that's that, that this, this is difficult and they're not saying they're sorry because they're sorry that that truth exists but they're saying that they're that they're sorry on the basis of uh, I don't know what that was <laughs> sorry. Um, they're, they're saying that they're sorry on the basis of how difficult it is to come to terms with God's truth at times. And that's our difficulty. And we have to have love to encourage others to get past that. Just, you know, anyway, just being unbalanced. Unbalanced preaching and teaching will twist the scriptures. It's going to turn us away. Uh, Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter talks about those who twist the scriptures to their own destruction. And really, when we don't try to be balanced in our approach with the Bible, we'll sometimes make the scriptures say something that they really don't. The two terms, exegesis and eisegesis, are important here from the standpoint that exegesis is supposedly you read the scriptures, determine what they say, and pull your lesson out of that, right? Or you construct your lesson from that. Eisegesis is when you got this thought this idea, and you're going to the Bible to find these things that support that idea. Can we see the difference there? And I'm not talking about uh, textual versus topical sermons, right? Because textual and topical sermons are proper exegesis if we do it properly. But what I'm saying is that when we're not trying to be balanced, when we're trying to turn the scriptures to say something that they don't say, we're only hurting ourselves and we're hurting those that we try to teach with that. Unbalanced preaching and teaching will pervert the gospel. Galatians 1, uh, verses 6 through 8, he says, you know, uh, there are some who want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And when we only teach the gospel as steps that we take and not as the good news of Jesus, we're unbalanced. On the same point, when we teach the gospel as a blanket acceptance of everything without anything being done, we're unbalanced. Again, I'm, I'm trying to present the two extremes here so we can recognize and understand that we need both. We need to understand that the gospel is the good news, and we need to understand that there are indeed actions to be taken as well. Uh, unbalanced preaching and teaching does not rightly handle the word of truth. When we understand, when we think about God's will. And in 2 Timothy 2.15, he talks about rightly dividing the word of truth. If I want to know what God wants for my life, that can become a confusing mess if all I'm focusing on is feelings and desires and and just things that pop into my head or uh, the fellow that drops the Bible to the floor and just sees where it opens up and that's what God wants me to be reading right now. You know, That's not proper understanding of God's will. 
And really, the other part of that is when I have a mess of facts not strung together by the overall story of the redemption of mankind, when I've got some things here and some things there, and I know this and I know that, and I just piece that together, I would say that's also unbalanced because you're lacking the whole picture. It's the Christian that spends all their time in the New Testament. They know a lot about the New Testament. They know a lot about the letters and everything. But maybe they don't know much about the divided kingdom. Maybe they don't know too much about the time of the, of the patriarchs. Maybe they're not seeing the bigger picture that we need to see. Anyway, all, all these things hopefully come together to show us something. Well, back in Ephesians 4, in verses 15 and 16, I think what we see is that being balanced makes us grow in Christ. And I think that what we, you know, the question that we brought up earlier, you've got these extreme, supposedly extreme points being made by these people of God, these men of God. We have to think back, what was their center of balance? You know, if I move my center of balance somewhere, you know, more to the left or more to the right, if I move it to this other place, that's going to be my center. That's going to be my focus. It needs to be on God. And when God is our center of balance, then that's going to look extreme to the world sometimes. Sometimes it's going to look to the world like we're not doing enough. Right? Sometimes it's going to look, like the, look to the world like, hey, we need to be doing X, Y, or Z with the Lord's money when we're not authorized to do so. And so being balanced makes us grow in Christ. And when we're talking about speaking the truth in love, these are very real things. Zechariah eight sixteen. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. You know, that idea of justice. We need to think about that. I watched a video the other day where I, I, I assume he's an atheist. Um, he was talking about the life of Jesus, and it was just sort of an interesting video because he was talking about it from a historical perspective. And he recognized even that one of the biggest things that Jesus strove for and pushed for was the idea of justice. And there is a sense in the Bible where that's true. You know, justice, mercy, and peace, right? You, you've done all these things. You've tied, you tied this and tied this, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. So, again, speaking the truth in love. Love that justice. Love the truth of God. Love the peace of God. Hosea 6 and verse 6, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. That doesn't mean that we don't sacrifice. It means that we sacrifice, and yet we still have the mercy that shows itself in Christ, shows itself in our Father. And even when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about this, about that tithing, the mint and the cumin and other things, he says, these you ought to have done and not left the other undone. He's saying, do it all. Make sure that you're properly balanced. The way that we share the truth is important. Are we speaking the truth in love? 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24 through 26 talks about the servant of the Lord not quarreling. Uh, we don't have time to, to read that, but most of us, I think, know that passage. Uh, having this sense where I'm doing it in a meek way, in a humble way. Uh, Paul shared the truth with complete love for others. You think about the love that he was showing to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. 
the, the, the amount of emotion that was in that, that, that parting, that, that leaving. It was the last time they would see him. In Galatians 2 and verses 11 through 14, he, he has this great love for the brethren there that's very clear toward us. And, of course, we need to ask the question, was Jesus unbalanced? And I think in Matthew 15, uh, the Pharisees, of course, were offended. The disciples were, uh, said that the Pharisees were offended with something Jesus had said. But he said, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that because he hated the Pharisees. He wasn't saying that because he was just going to be completely dismissive of them. You see him after this point still interacting with them at certain points. But what he's teaching his disciples is that that's not our focus. That's not our balance. We're not here to fix the world. We're not here to get involved in politics and the things of men. We're here to impress upon others the truth of God. And the wonderful thing about that is if we're balanced in the way that God wants us to be, we're going to be more unified. We're going to be more together. And what that means is, again, back in Ephesians 4, when we're joined and knit together, the whole body joined and knit together, right? By what every joint supplies. 1 Peter 1.22, since you've purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. We can come together on this, joined and knit together, that idea that we are together in this, allowing the effective working, right, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 talks about the word of God which effectively works in you who believe. And so in being unified, we're allowing the word to work within us. The part where every part does its share. And, and, let me suggest too that this is one of the biggest traps that Christians can fall into when every part is not doing its share we have again we have roles that we can fill we have ways that we can help in the local congregation and let me say it doesn't have to be some big important thing it can be just as simple as directing someone to the website that we have right or it can be just as simple as inviting someone to services or inviting someone to a Bible study. That little part is so huge. And it helps in your development. It helps in the development of the whole congregation. Uh, we got a number of passages there, but time doesn't allow us to go into that. But the idea of abounding, the idea of uh, uh, fitting together so that we all work together and we grow together is so important. So building us up in love because remember he talks about causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love Paul says knowledge puffs up but love edifies and again 1 Peter 2 2 desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby 1 John 3 and verse 18 let us not love in word or in tongue but in deed and in truth all this stuff that we're talking about in terms of balance does that reflect where you are this morning if it doesn't, something needs to change. Maybe you need to make something clear to the congregation. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to confess. We want to help you with that. Uh, you, will not be, you, you will not be talked down. You will not be hated. Uh, 
a brother or sister, of course, that is turning away from bad things is to be appreciated and praised and loved. And uh, if you're not a Christian yet, we encourage you to think about this. Hopefully, as we are working together as a congregation, let's be balanced in the way that God shows. Let's be unaffected by the imbalance present within the sinful world. And let's be growing in the balance that Christ shows us in the way that we speak the truth in manifesting a heart devoted to unity and in believing that our common work will build us up in love. We have to know that this is important. We have to believe that this is important. If we don't, we're just another club, right? We're just another group of people that come together, right? Let's be believing in God's truth. If you need to come to Christ, we want to encourage you to do so while we stand and sing. They tell me of a home far beyond the skies. Oh, they tell me of a home far away. Oh, they tell me of a home 